I am Doug Friedman. And I'm Bonnie Ray. And this is Your Mental Breakdown, the podcast. Hello, Bonnie. Hi, Doug. Welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I mean, thank you for being halved. You're welcome. Thank you for the delicious cappuccino. Oh, right. So good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my favorite thing about coffee is these days, because I don't drink it, the smell, the smell of coffee. I just love the smell of coffee. I'm so sorry you don't drink it. That hurts my feelings. Oh. It's what I live for. Really? Yeah. I love coffee. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. You will never see me in session without coffee next to me or in my (laughs) hand. Right. And everybody who works with me knows it. Yeah. We've talked about the art of holding your mug or how, where you put it, how you hold. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's a nice prop. Yeah. Yeah. So what your listeners need to know is you're like an okay therapist, but you're an amazing (laughs) coffee maker. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I used to do tea in sessions. That was my big thing. Mm-hmm. Like, so therapisty of you. Right? Like yeah. always tea, always tea, uh-huh. and I would pound tea. And when we went to virtual sessions, it's like, oh, I don't need my tea in here because I've got, I can have anything I want around right. me. Right. Yeah. Why can't you have anything you want in session? I guess you can. It just seemed. I mean, I don't see you as somebody who has like Gatorade <laughs> and <laughs> a milkshake. Got to keep hydrating. Got to keep hydrating. <laughs> yeah. You're, you are a water guy through and through. Yeah. Yeah, I am. It's true. But it, it's, I don't know. There was something therapeutic about drinking tea. Oh, with totally. And it's, you know, it's funny because it, we've talked about this. We've both been actors and we're now therapists. Yep. Or you'd like to think we are. Maybe we're just acting. Ooh. Right? But the idea of kind of creating that, that it's the cliche, creating that safe space as a therapist. But we really mm-hmm. do that. I think it's based on whatever makes you comfortable will make 100%. your clients comfortable. percent. Right. Yeah, I say that a lot to my associates because some people are like, when do I pick up my coffee and drink? Is there an inappropriate time to totally. do that? Yep. I'm going, I don't even think about when I'm drinking my coffee because I'm so plugged into the client, right. I'm sure I'm drinking it throughout or sometimes it's just in my hands because the warmth of the mug helps me be present. Mm. Yeah. But whether it's at home for teletherapy or my office, like my office is very selfish because it's <laughs> it's a space that I feel peaceful in, that I feel comfortable in, which I think just helps me create a containing, safe, comfortable space for the people I work with. Well, and I think we got to give our clients more credit for acknowledging that and feeling safe and comfortable in a place where someone else is safe and comfortable. Totally. The therapist that projects something like, oh, well, I'm going to put my degree on the wall here and I want to do this here and and have the clipboard and and this is how to project being professional. Yes. That can work for some. Totally. Totally. I think it's a little cold. Totally. My office, I made kind of like a house. I actually don't have any which is not wrong. I don't have any degrees or anything like that on the wall. It's right. just kind of right. how I would make my home, just less less of my personal things. Yeah. No pictures of my family on the wall. Right. And similar in my office, there's some books on the shelf, even my home office, some books on the shelf, Yeah. some tchotchkes and stuff. <laughs> right? I love your tchotchkes, Doug. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's funny that in, in my office office, we're in my home office right, right now, but in the office office, I have uh, like this little glass pyramid and there's crystals inside of it. Uh huh. And if you know me, 
once you get to know me as a therapist, it's fine. It's just something that looks cool and is kind of nice. Yep. I've had clients who have said after a while, yeah, when I first came in, I thought you were super new agey because I saw this glass pyramid <laughs> with crystals in it. <laughs> <laughs> Judging by your laughter, you know that's not true. I know that's not true. I also relate because there are probably six crystals. And it's not that I'm against crystals. I think sure. wonderful if whatever your beliefs are on that. But right. for me, they're pretty. <laughs> I just like them. Yeah. They make me feel comfortable. I like the idea that they could represent something. Right. So I've had a couple of clients too be like, whoa, the crystals. Right. And Right. I think my energy is calming, but also, as you called me earlier, I can also be funny and inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely. And having that that mix and being both, to me, it's all about being yourself. For a second, I want to talk about associates, if we can. Yeah. We used to call them interns. Now yes. they're called associates. Yes. And these are unlicensed professionals that work with you. Yes. Not under practice. your license, but in your practice. Yes. Right. So and under my license. No, that's a misnomer. <gasps> it's not true. Tell me more. Okay. Tell me I will. something I don't know. Our, well, geez, we'll be here all day. Um <laughs> Well, they do actually have their own associate license number. Correct. However, if something were to happen, we uh -huh. there's a 50-50 responsibility around that. Correct. I remember that from my exams. That's right. Yes. That's right. Your exams were not wrong. No. People think that if an associate does something unethical or or whatever it might be that it's on your license because they're under your license and that person's protected because it's not their license. That's oh, not no, true. That's not true. Right. Mm -hmm. It's 50, 50. It's yes. you have to take responsibility yep. as the licensed supervisor. Absolutely. And they take responsibility as the licensed associate. Correct. Yes. Yep. yep. Absolutely. See, yeah. you already knew it. I didn't I teach you anything. It. it was, it was a slight miscommunication, misunderstanding, but we talked about it and I think we're on the same page. That's true. Although your page you're holding in front of you with all your notes, I don't see that. So I'm, I'm on such a nerd. Page. I'm I'm literally you brought notes. I, I brought it. notes. I love it. I brought notes because I get excited when I listen to your work, Doug. Oh, thank you. Okay. So what were you saying about associates? What I was saying is I've made the mistake with associates where I wanted to mold and meld them into a version of me. Yes. And that seemed great because why not? But totally. <laughs> But it's actually, it wasn't very useful and didn't really work very well because the idea that I have come to is I really needed to help bring out who they really are yes. and allow that to be present in the room and for them to be comfortable being who they are in the room. A hundred percent. Right? And that's, I mean, when you get out of school and when you start and when you're newer as a therapist, you don't know if you can sip this mug or put that tchotchke or put your crystals out. You have to feel it out and you have to do it for yourself to be comfortable realizing that's what puts clients at ease, not how do I project comfort, right? Totally. Yeah. We, we talked about this earlier just in talking about therapists, associates, but I just feel like there's so much value as a therapist in being yourself. Right. Like that's to me, the number one starting point is for you to be authentic, yeah. for you to be yourself, yeah. for you to be comfortable. Yeah. Right. Of course, we're professionals. And when you have a license on the line, when you're a therapist, there's this feeling of I have to be something because people are coming to me for help. They're right. paying me potentially a lot of money per session to sit with me. I have to show up in a certain way. Yeah. Or give them something of value. Yes. Right. And make sure that I, I do that at every session. Like, well, that's not going to happen necessarily every session. And what you give them is 
you showing up authentically and the space for them to do the same. Right. And right? that's where connections made. It's not yeah. made if you're putting something on. Right. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. I know. Yeah. See, yeah. now we're, we're right on there. the same page. We are on the same page. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> Speaking of the same page, we mentioned this a little while ago too, that sometimes a client will come in and you know what you're working on. You've been working on this. You keep going. You've got a through line. And with you guys that have been listening to Sarah throughout, you know what she's been working on and, and what she's been doing and what we've been doing. Sometimes something will come up and they need to deal with what just came up. Right. and. It's sort of like, like we said, today's session is almost like a standalone session. It's its own thing, which you guys will hear in a minute, no spoilers, but it's something that we've kind of paved the way for something. And there's a reason why I wanted you to do this particular session with me, Bonnie. I know. I know, you know. Right away. I go, yep. <laughs> I know why I'm here. Right. But right. that's so true. There's there's an improv nature to our job because we don't know what's happening in the time apart from session. Sure, maybe we pick up last week if nothing big is happening, but sometimes shit happens. Right. They come to session and you're like, here we go. Right. Right. right? And we can't prepare. Right. There's stuff that we do, of course, to better being a therapist, but we're not coming in with an agenda. We can't. And this session tells you exactly why. Yeah. Exactly. Although when you said improv nature, speaking acting for a second, not that I'm an actor, but you know, I think <laughs> actor, you no, nerd. I just play one on the podcast. Okay. I think there's something about improv for me when I was doing it that when you know your character so well, then yeah, you, you can improv anything. You can do anything because you're thinking that way, right? Right. As therapists, that improv nature is I know the client well. Yes. And I know clinical stuff well. So whatever's coming up is in the context of clinically, I understand what's going on Yep. for this client. I understand where they're coming from, where they're going. And now we can have that quote unquote improv moment and deal with whatever is right here. And unlike improv, yeah, there's no character. You are still you. Right. And they are still them. We are two humans in a room. Yes. And I think we are very much like Carrot Top because we have to have our props. Oh my gosh, Doug. So if you have your cup of coffee and if you have the, what? No, not a carrot top. Carrot top. You and your references. <laughs> it just, I luckily I knew that one because I feel like last time you gave me about five and I looked at you like, don't. I, You know I have no idea what you're talking about. What's great is like maybe 30% of the people listening will know who carrot top is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and for those of you that don't, go to your local farmer's market. Nope. Uh, no? Oh, okay. No. Doug, uh, I'm going to cut you off. Fine. Well, speaking of carrot tops and improvisation and just going with what comes at you, let's see what comes at us in this session. Grab your favorite cup of coffee and here we go. All right. We'll talk to you in a little bit. So my cousin passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> It's okay. You don't have to be composed with me. (laughs) So I've actually had a few days to kind of mull it over, I guess. (laughs) I haven't cried yet, so (laughs) here's the first. Death is a a tough one (laughs) for me because I am very not religious, (laughs) and I think the only 
drawback in life <laughs> to not being religious is that sort of finality to death. I think, you know, I had similar feelings when my dad died. Mm. Obviously, it sucks, but there's also a part of me that's just like, I don't know. I mean, I don't think anybody knows, but I think that people, you know, like my parents who believe in a heaven or an afterlife, or whatever, you know, they have, they make peace with it somehow. Right. It's not a, a luxury I have, I suppose, is the right word. It's not that it's a luxury you don't have. It's a defense mechanism you don't have. So you're not defended. So you're feeling it. And it's not like I had a few days to mull it over. It's not about mulling it over. It's about feeling it. And yeah. there's, there's not much that we know. But what we do know is when somebody leaves this earth, when someone dies, their consciousness is no longer here. And even if your cousin's in a better place and looking down on us that, okay, whatever your family believes and whatever they say, your reality is his consciousness is no longer here for me to talk to and interact with in that way. Yep. That's, that's a loss. That's big. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Oh, we talked a few weeks ago, you know, my parents, like, we're going to pray for him and he's going to be okay. And right, of course, right. all these things come back to me. And there's, I think I'm at the sad part, but you know, there's, there's a lot of me that's just, when I try to distract myself from the sad part, it's just angry. So maybe mm -hmm. just go back to the sad. I'm not angry at my parents. I'm not angry at anybody. I guess I'm just, maybe I'm a little angry, but I don't know who at <laughs> the situation, you know. Sure. It's just so wrong. <laughs> I talked to him on Friday he was at, he was home and he seemed better than he had seemed. Right. And then by Saturday, his dad sent me a message and said he was gone. So mm. I don't know. I guess I was semi-prepared, but certainly not for how quick it happened. The doctors told me he's not going to get better. Right. <laughs> but, you know, it's how long he holds on essentially now on the bright side he's not in pain anymore and there's a lot of thoughts <laughs> you know i told you his brother actually killed himself but essentially right my cousin did the same thing he just did it over a period of time i guess another thing that's sort of hard for me i wasn't i was really not trying to get in here and cry because it's not very productive but then my parents stopped by and i got emotional Yeah. So last night I was, I was starting to feel the, the sad feelings. So I was like, okay, I'm going to watch all the funniest movies. <laughs> mm. And I just couldn't fall asleep. I just kept watching movies all night. And then my alarm went off at 530. So I also haven't slept, which is probably not helping with the composure. <laughs> mm. So it's been a, a rough few days. Yeah. The thing about the stages of grief, the reality is they're not chronological. 
and they're not final. You don't pass through them and then finish and you're done with grief. As you well know, you've had loss in your life, right? And I think classically the first stages of grief, the, the shock and denial, or even the bargaining, part of that was going on for you with your cousin. And even if you know, like, well, he's not getting better. You've said it to me, matter of factly, like, you knew, you knew this is going to get him at some point. And still, when that point comes, when you're on that phone and they say, oh, yeah, and he passed away, it will hit you with an abruptness and a sense of finality. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not a pleasant feeling at all. <laughs> I experienced it very keenly when my father passed away, but I haven't really, you know, besides now, this is probably the closest thing I could um, relate to that. My cousin and I were very close. Like we literally talked on a daily basis. Yeah. It's really hard to comprehend really, I guess. Tragic. But Hey, such is life. Yeah. Such is life, and it is really hard. Yep. And it's something that doesn't matter how prepared you are. You you get there and you're never prepared for it. I don't know if it was a Buddhist saying or what. It might have been the Dalai Lama or somebody asked him about experiencing the loss. And the reply was, I just miss conversations with my friend, and I don't get to have them anymore. Yep, that's what I was feeling today, for sure. Yeah. 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 And I'm I'm sorry because that is that is a loss. And there's yep. yep. Anyways, um, what else has been going on? Well, hang on. Let's not run from this. Let's just stay here for a minute. And th- this is something you and I will revisit over the next few weeks in different forms. I want to give you permission to feel what you feel if you can give that to yourself. And it's going to hit you at different times and let it, what's happening now, the the tears, we don't have to fight that off. Just give yourself a moment. And we don't, we don't have to go deep into the feelings. You don't have to tell me about your father. This is what we talked about with daughter, being able to show her the tears, being able to show her it's okay. And being able to experience it for yourself. Yeah. It's odd how both of these events in my life were both like sudden and unexpected. It's my father's same thing. He was, you know, very um, fit, swimming, hiking, that guy. And then he got a headache one day, went to the doctor. He was fully metastasized, cancer, whole body, three months to live, like literally nothing they could do about it. They caught it so late. The only reason he knew he was going to die was because of this headache he got. Wow. And literally from the day he was diagnosed to the day he died was almost exactly three months. Wow. I mean, how I never know what's worse. You know, like my grandma is getting very old now. She's 90 something. And mm. we're all sort of starting to prepare that she's probably going to go in the next few years. And of course, that's going to be hugely sad, but it's almost like it's supposed to happen in a sense. Like it's, it is the end of her life and she lived almost a hundred years. So I don't know, to me, that's, there's more sense in that 
that any death is sad, any loss is sad, but maybe it's because it's like in a schedule. I don't like mm. surprises. <laughs> Go back to that. I don't like them. I don't like them in a, in a normal setting. I don't even like good surprises. <laughs> yeah, that tracks because a lot of your experience has been bad surprises. <laughs> well, when things are unpredictable, when things are unknown, it's not safe or not comfortable. So we want that containment. We want to know. Hearing your dad's got three months. Remind me how old you were at that time. This was seven years ago. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that fresh. I was. Let me think about how old I was, and then I'll know. I couldn't have been more than 32 years old. So, yeah, so so nine years then. So nine years, so they, they would have been four and five. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, regardless, it's almost nice. Like, even just then, us doing the math our minds were distracted by that and there's a relief and that that's why a lot of us will just get busy and do something and put our focus on something else. Yeah. It's strange. I don't know if it's because I've shut or tried to shut so much of it out that I've kind of disassociated myself. Like same when my dad died, it was so traumatic for me. I mean, so hugely traumatic. Hmm. I sat with him for three whole weeks while he died. I wouldn't leave. Wow. Wow. Him and I were, we were really close. It was the most horrible thing. I, I mean, I don't, I'm, you know, short of losing a child, losing a parent, a, a parent that you're close with. Right. Watching a parent, especially a father who was just always super Your pillar. smart and strong mm -hmm. and just, he was that guy. I've told you, you know, he would push us so hard as kids do better, be better. You're going to do something, you do it well, or you don't do it at all. Right. And that was how he raised us to, to watch him go from that to first barely being able to get out of bed on his own and then not being able to get out of bed at all. Hmm. having to give him his pain meds to just him basically being unconscious and then to him finally dying. And it was a very strange experience. His wife and I were there with him for the whole time that he was in hospice. So first, when he found out he was going to die, he booked like three cruises back to back for him and his wife because that was their favorite thing to do. <laughs> it was so cute. He was like, okay, now all six of my kids, I'm going to have, I'm going to bring you and you're going to come and be with me for one week hmm. each. But yeah. I don't, he was like, I don't want any of you there when I die. I don't want you to see me what's going to happen to me. And everybody was like, okay, dad, you know, whatever you want. And I was like, fuck that. <laughs> Obviously I'm not going to listen to you. So I went last and then I just stayed. Hmm. It was extremely rough. And it, you know, like the nurses, the hospice, they're basically just helping you die comfortably, right? Hmm. The hospice nurses, who I think are actual angels, if angels exist, it's them. Right. They would come and then get them all cleaned up. And then they would leave us. As time went on and he got weaker and weaker and basically. I, I don't even know what the word is between there's like an in-between, you know, you're not dead. You're, you're still breathing. You still have a pulse, but you're not 
opening your eyes. You're not talking. You're not doing anything. You just, you have vital signs basically. Right. right. And the nurses would keep, would come and they would say, okay, it's probably going to be today. So prepare yourselves and this and that. And I've just, I just never left his side. So they kept saying this for like a week, a week and a half. It's probably going to be today. And then they come back and they'd be like, wow, he's still here. And they check his pulse and it was really strong. And finally, one day his wife said to me, look, you've been sitting in this room for two weeks. Like, she's like, let's just go for a quick walk around the property, get some fresh air. And then you, know, you can come back. Cause I think she was starting to get a little worried about me. <laughs> so I shit you not five minutes, five minutes. We were not in the room. He passed as soon as I left the room, it was like, he was waiting. It's the weirdest thing. And, and again, I, st- I have never been able to even wrap my head around any of this. However, there was a part of me that just thought maybe he was just wait. Maybe he didn't want to die in front of me. I don't know. It was so crazy. And then of course I got all guilty feeling like, Oh my God, like I, maybe I just made him lay there and suffer (laughs) because I didn't leave his side. You know, there's always that part of me. It's a hard one for me. It is hard because when, when you're there and they're there, but they're not really there. And we, we try to make sense of there's some part of them there. It's very confusing and we'll try to make sense as best we can. And, and I come back to the reality we know is his consciousness was not there interacting with your consciousness. Yeah. And I don't think anybody knows, right? There's no way to know what happens in that space between this life and whatever, if there is something next, but for sure, your conscious, your consciousness, I believe it's not your body, right? It's something else. I don't know that anybody does know or could know what does happen. Like, where are you when you're in that in-between space? You might be experiencing all of it, but just from a different level of consciousness, who knows? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. And then, like I said, there's a few different aspects of this. One is there is something, something that transcends our consciousness that's, I think, undeniable, but we don't know what to call it. And some people call it God. Some people call it spirit or soul or the universe. Okay. If we can all agree that there's something, then there was something there. And there was something to your dad, to your cousin, to what what you are feeling and what you still feel and what you carry with you. I think parents saying, well, we're praying on him. Well, he's in a better place. It's, it's what they need, but it's not necessarily what helps you. And it's something that we don't have to worry about what they need and what makes them feel better. We need to focus on what you actually feel. Because whatever, whatever other there is, is something unexplainable and you'll feel that at different points throughout the rest of your life. And I come back to what we know is your cousin who you talk to just about every day, you don't get to talk to him anymore. Yeah. I think that's what kind of got to me yesterday. I was writing some code for this database spreadsheet and I hit 
a speed bump. And normally I would just be like, Hey, cuz, <laughs> cause you know, that that's what he did. He was a coder. And I literally instinctively copied my code, went to go paste it. And then I just like burst into tears. And I think that was the first time that I felt just sadness, just total sadness. Yeah. The first couple of days, there's a lot of stuff, you know, bringing me back to all the people I've known in my life that have committed suicide because of how they grew up. Mm-hmm. Easy, I could name 15 people right now that I grew up with as a kid that killed themselves. Wow. All because of, well, because of the trauma we all experienced. There's always been a part of me that wants to understand what decision did I make that allowed me to carry on with a life. There's a lot of very, very sad outcomes, consequences of our traumatic upbringing. And my cousin is not outside of that group. That's what makes me the anger feelings or, I mean, it's, it's also heartbreaking to me because no, no child should ever have grown up the way we did. No child should ever have experienced what we did. Maybe it's a survivor's guilt or something. Yeah. Every time you think about it, I think like, what, what could I have done? How could I have helped him? And, and, and I don't even know, I don't even know what I've done to make me not be in that same place. Right. So that's a big, literally question mark that's hanging over my head right here. I always have these thoughts. Every time I get a message saying, rest in peace, so-and-so, just another casualty of this fucking cult. It's tragic. It really is. There's a question I can't answer now. And there's another question that I, I can say we will answer. The one I can't answer is, what makes me different from them? What is it that I had that they that they don't have or didn't have? I don't know that. Whatever coping mechanisms you developed, whatever tools you have, I don't know what that would look like on them, how that would help them or not. We have no idea. Oh man, when someone's gone and you go through the what ifs, that's the bargaining in a sense and the denial in a sense. You, I mean, we just don't know. And the question we we can ask and we can answer is how did I get through this and what impact and effect has it had on me? (laughs) Yeah. It's something where you are a happy person and maybe they were happy people too, but whatever outer shell came over that to protect that happy person and had to get through things took such a toll on them that that happy person inside never got a chance to come back out. Or that outer shell became who they are. Yeah. There's a part of me that it has removed myself from the emotion of that pain. I think, well, maybe there's actually something wrong with me, like that I am able to do that, you know, without the use of drugs or alcohol, without having to numb, I guess. Right the feelings with whatever it might be, whether it's sex or drugs or alcohol to each his own, but there's nothing in me that makes me want to 
attached to those feelings at all. So it's almost like I remove myself from them. I feel a lot of emotion, but not about that. Not about that stuff. What you're talking about is I can detach from whatever's happening in the moment that's too emotionally overwhelming or I don't understand or too traumatic. I can detach from that and carry on. I can put a handle on those compartments and those bags and carry them around. That weight, I will feel and it takes its toll. And it has taken a toll in certain ways. Shoot off all my nails last night. Yep. And the better you chew off your nails, then you chew up fentanyl. Sure. Or put down a fifth of Jack every day. Yeah. Right? And better you hit the vape than hitting anything else. Yeah. And that's, you're somebody who, from a very early age, has really valued your consciousness. And part of your battle has been, my consciousness doesn't understand why they're doing that, why this is happening. And hey, mom, at, at 13 years old, like, I don't, yeah, my consciousness doesn't want to be here for this. Yeah. So I, I'd like to not be here. And eventually, and we'll talk about this too, because I asked you once, like, all right, you had that moment with her at 13, then at 15, you got out. It's two years. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on there. And whatever it was for you, you had made up your mind, as you said. Yes. So you yes. had that plan. That's kind of the, I'm good with, with planning. Like I can see a plan. I can execute that. Yeah. But what's happening to you now? What's happened in the past? Like, nope, don't deter. I need, this is the road I need to go. I have to stay focused. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. I need all this just so. Like, because if I don't have my eyes on that goal, if I don't have direction that way towards out, then I have to be here. Interesting. That makes a lot of sense because, yeah, it really is like same reason I watch TV at night. I I can't be in silence because in silence, Mm -hmm. there's danger for me. Not necessarily danger, but a lot of stuff happening Mm -hmm. in my mind all the time. And I keep it busy with, like you just said, the planning and the scheduling and the executing and the, and I'm going forward, 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 nonstop, always going, always, you know, either TV or music or work or kids or football games or whatever's happening. The quiet, it doesn't work for me. (laughs) Yeah. Not right now. Like you said, it's not safe because then it's weird. I call it the Scooby-Doo when Shaggy and Scooby got scared or something, they would take off, but it's like their, their skins would stay behind and it would take a while for the skins to like catch up to them. It's a great visual because it's like they got so scared out of their bodies that they took off. That they just went pew. Right. Like Roadrunner. And he's like. Exactly. That's what exactly. my boss calls me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> At work. I mean, that, that's what it is. It's I, I will see the goal. I will go and pew, I'm gone. I'm going. There I go. And if I stop, then the rest of me has to catch up. And then I have to feel everything that's there. So I'm just running away from my feelings, essentially. Sure, we can say that. (laughs) 
if we want to just sum it. <laughs> right. And I, I will good. say also, you have emotion. You've touched emotion. I've seen it. You did at the start of this session. And the part of you that says, no, no, don't look at me. I was crying. That's when that Scooby-Doo, like the body catches up to what ran away. And when it's as one and you get to feel it, historically for you, that has been uncomfortable, unsafe, unpredictable, and creating, we've been talking about this for a few weeks, the safe space to have that is really important. You being emotional with me about your cousin and a little bit about your dad here, this is our space for that. Yeah. That's hugely important. That's you being emotional. This is for the last 50 minutes. You haven't been going. Yeah, you're right. And it really is. And in fact, I was going to say that earlier, like when we were talking about the quiet time and me not going there, not wanting to do that, it really is the time I spend with you that I consider my quiet time. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, it's a safe space. There's somebody I can bounce those feelings off of. Whereas if if they're just bouncing around in my head, that's like danger zone for me. You've done so much of that so well for most of your life. And it's really hard and exhausting, right? You can feel it. I really can today, especially. Yeah. Yeah. There's some days where I'm just exhausted by my own self. Right. And this is part of what we're going to relieve. And that's sometimes setting some of those bags and compartments down and not carrying them with us. Okay. Yeah. And you're doing that for yourself. You can give me some credit and I'll take it, but give yourself a lot of credit for doing this. Really? I mean, you've carved it, you've carved it out. This is your time. This is a safe space for you. Yeah. I am very proud of myself actually that I, that I do this like all the time, every week. It's actually like the first sort of professional boundary I think I've actually ever set and stuck to. So that's quite And you're smiling as you're saying that. Yeah. (laughs) I'm proud of myself for that. Like when I asked you like a couple months ago, like do something just for yourself. Like, oh, okay. Like three And you said like, oh, this, it really is this. It really is this. Yeah, I am. I'm proud of myself for it. And right. it, and it, I'm proud of myself, but I also feel like it's so important, which of course makes it, it makes me want to be even more protective of oh, the time yeah. that I do have by myself with you. Eventually, not now, I'm saying this just as a preview, eventually, we're going to create that about a lot more things in your life than just one hour a week. Yeah. That would be amazing. So you can actually enjoy your life while you're living it. So you can actually feel it and have it and be present for it. And for the next week, be present for whatever's coming up. If you need to put it in a a compartment, put a handle on it and wait a week and then open it up, allow yourself to feel what comes up and what you're feeling. And like I said, if, if it gets to be too much, put it in the compartment. Know that we've got a place to open up those compartments. I'm really proud of you for going through it. Thank you. Thanks for helping me. (laughs) Absolutely. And we're back. (sighs) Welcome back. 
Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, heartbreaking. Mm. Truly heartbreaking. Yeah. Did you know that this was a possibility? Yeah, yeah. So she had talked about her cousin, who was like her best friend. They yeah, talked talk every, every day. day. Right, exactly. And he was in the hospital. And I mean, she had a huge realization. She didn't know he was an alcoholic. And right. she learned what functional alcoholic meant. And she's like, oh, okay, right. And when he was diagnosed with cancer and she was thinking like, okay, well, can we get a, a donor liver? Can I give a liver? What, what can we do? I'm like, no, he can't do that because he's an alcoholic. And it was devastating. And she was realizing it's just a matter of time. And yeah. one of the things that happened in the hospital was her mother saying to her, oh, well, Sarah's always been the sensitive one. She's just being sensitive. And mm. she had to, I think it was the, it might've been the one that that my mom did with me where we were talking about how Sarah's mom was kind of trying to make everything okay. And Sarah right. had this feeling like, she needed to project strength and not break down yes. at the hospital with her cousin, like not show. Which is very Sarah from what I've heard. There's right. this, just keep moving through, keep mm. it together, keep everything together, keep my kids together, keep everybody together. Right. So that makes sense. What I will say is in listening to this, I was obviously surprised just listening right. to this. Oh, okay, we're, we're grieving here. This is a, a major loss. Right. I first think it's a really great sign that she said, I haven't even cried about yeah. this. It was yeah. like the yeah. second she sat with you, yep. she broke down, which one tells me she feels incredibly safe with you. Mm. I loved that you gave her permission to release her emotion by saying, you don't have to be composed with me. Yeah, thank you. And then something I was thinking about a lot of grief of like therapists who work with grief, hmm. you have to be comfortable with your own relationship with grief and right. your own relationship with loss and your right. own relationship with sadness to be able to sit with grief. So many therapists make the mistake. And I was going, I think I know Doug enough to know this won't happen, hmm. but I've seen it and I've heard it and I've experienced it on the client end of somebody wanting to pull me out of grief by saying something like, you'll see them again. Maybe they're, they kind of project their religious or spiritual beliefs on right, you. Right. Time will heal everything. Right. You held the space for her grief. You'd never once tried to fix it or stop it. There wasn't this, what I call manic repair. Hmm. Do you know what manic I repair like that. Tell is? Me. That is when I talk to my associates about this a lot. Somebody is hurting, uncomfortable, in pain. You love them. You say something as a mm. therapist to fix it or make it better. Yeah. I say sometimes that that's, we think that's soothing, but I think what soothe really means is allowing yourself to experience the uncomfortable emotions. Exactly. So to me, this session, I was being very soothing, not by trying to take it away, nope. make a joke, make it better, Nope. but by allowing her to feel what she was feeling. Yeah. You even at one point said, this is really big. Yeah. This is huge. Yeah. An experienced therapist, like somebody who knows how to do grief work will hold. And you did a lot of holding. You slowed down, you held mm -hmm. the space and it was beautiful in a Thank way you. to listen. Yeah. yeah. It's something you and I talk about a lot about taking the elevator down. Yes. It's most people stay in the attic, like and Sarah, far away from emotions. From what I've heard. Yeah. 
She is only safe in the attic. Right. And she's a very, right. I think, based. She's very smart. Very, very intellectual. Very, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that, that's something I really wanted to do here. And I did it a few times. I gave her a lot of room to just start talking, processing, saying what she was thinking. And I realized kind of early on, and this is what I was saying in the lead in, that improv nature, knowing, knowing your client and what's going on with them and where they're going, where they need to go. I was allowing her to kind of go into some intellectualizing of this. Yeah. I also snapped her back a couple of times uh-huh. and just let's sit with this while the elevator's down in that emotional level. Yep. Let's stay on this emotional level. Yeah. Right? There was one point where I was going, Doug, why didn't you call her out? Hmm. If any of you have listened to me on here, I love to find something to call Doug out for. Yeah. Bring it. What you, what you got? What no, you got? And, and as usual, I'm like, okay, I kind of I see why. But she said something that I was like, oh, no, which hmm. is I was really not trying to get in here and cry because it's not really productive. Right. And I'm going, wow, there's this massive misconception that feeling emotions, relaxing, all of those things aren't productive. Where right. I feel that feeling the emotion when it's there, grieving, is one of the most productive things you can do. And if it wasn't, Sarah's very clearly feels a need to always be productive, which is, as you kind of call the Scooby-Doo right. moment of yeah. like yeah. escaping your feelings to be productive in some way. So you didn't say anything. She just kept going. And I kept thinking you were going to go, I want to bring you back to something you said, because Mm -hmm. I've heard you do that before. Mm -hmm. And that never happened. However, I also sensed, and you tell me what your experience was, that you just wanted to hold a lot of space for her and to kind of see, she was still in her grief, trying to cut it off to see where she was naturally going to go with it. Right. I agree with you and I disagree. And okay, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. I, go for it. I will. I'll go for it right now. You ready? <laughs> yes. It's, when we had that moment, she was saying whatever that was, like getting here and, and, mm-hmm. and letting it go. And it's not very productive. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I felt like we hit that earlier a little bit mm-hmm. where I was just allowing her to go through it. But I felt like she needed a little bit of psychoeducation, a little bit, a little piece to just know what's going on, to give her some framework. And I knew I was going to take her back to where we were. Mm -hmm. And you got there. You did. You got there at the end. You wrapped up this. Even before the end. Yes. A couple of times throughout the session. And and in this moment that you're talking about, this exchange Mm -hmm. where she said this thing, that's where I started talking about, well, these are the stages of grief. Yeah. Right. And, And this is what's going to happen. Because what I consciously wanted to highlight for her is, you don't have to stay sad. Yeah. You might be angry. You might go into denial. Like any of these things are okay. I wanted to give space to allow that to come out with whatever it was going to be. And then as I'm saying this and explaining all this, kind of the next thing she says at, at some point in that exchange was, well, such, such is, is life. life. Anyway, I so, down. Right. I just wrote such is life. Right. And right after that, I might have went, yeah, yeah, this is really hard, but hang on, let's stay here for a minute. Yes, you, you know, did. Let, let's not run away. Let's let's stay here. You know, what's really interesting mm. is after that feedback, yeah. I wrote such as life, which is her. I've seen her do this in every session I've listened to. Everything's fine. Life goes on. That's right. back to, and right. then you were like, mm, well, 
right. and you pulled her back. Right. I knew you'd get to it. I just needed to find something. <laughs> um, but I do think at some point, I know this will come back, maybe not in a session where she's actively grieving. And I think, I think you actually did this on a former session with her I listened to, hmm. but just this concept of productivity for Sarah right. seems right. to be something you might be cracking at yep. for a while. Yep. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's something where she needs to recognize, and she does now, that what we're doing is productive. If you're yeah. not necessarily at the end of a session going to go, oh, wow, we achieved this today. I got right. to this level right. today, right? And it's something that we are gradually doing. And you are, I think all of you listening are able to hear part of what is productive now is that she is allowing herself to express what she's feeling. And we made reference to her daughter too, like allowing her to just cry rather yeah. than make it better. Like you were saying about it, rather than trying to do that, that yeah. what did you call it? Manic. Manic repair. Yeah. 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 Right? I, like you, that. I mean, I, I would seriously, it's, it's hard to do. It is hard to sit with somebody you love and care about a client too, like in their grief. I think the hardest thing about that, well, Two of the hardest things. You hit one already and I'll come back to that. We're putting a pin in it if okay. we didn't already. Okay. And that's not falling into your own grief. Yes. Right? Even if it's not a client, if it's a friend or someone you care about and they're they're kind of going through it, it's so hard not to project your own. Right. The second thing is it's really hard not to do what makes you feel better to them. Because some people yeah. will think like just making a joke or going, well, such is life. Anyway, whatever that is. Oh, the common one I hear with grief, which just makes my whole body shut down because it's mm. so invalidating, yet I understand where it's coming from is he's in a much better place now. Right, right. No, right. don't which, say that. But you said that. You said that earlier. And it's all these things to me are dismissive and invalidating for what the person is bringing to you, unless they identify that that is something that makes them feel better. Exactly. If Sarah was a client with a religious faith that helped her get through and she wanted to pray on this, that would be different. Totally different. Right. But what you did, Doug, which I could see a lot of therapists not doing is I know you personally. Mm -hmm. I had no sense of what your religious, spiritual feelings about life after death were at all. Right. You did not bring it. You held her in that moment. You said, regardless of what happens out of death, your loved one's consciousness is gone. You right. held space that she's feeling the permanent loss of her cousin, regardless right. of what her right. family thinks about life after death, regardless of what you think you held space for her and her experience without bringing your own right. spirituality beliefs, grief process to her which I just found really beautiful and healing for her. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that I put a pin in is bringing your own grief. You know me personally. You know I've yes. been through a lot of grief. Yes. And it's something that has informed my practice and informed how I do things, but I was not going to disclose anything here that it wouldn't serve where, where Sarah yeah. was. And it's not about me and what helped me or what anything that I've learned for my process. This is her process. Yes. I can call upon those things right. if it helps her. Right. But not, and I, I hear therapists do it a lot, is they'll say something that kind of reiterates what they've worked on and what they've been doing. And it's right. it's sort of like almost telling a client, hey, well, here's, here's how I did it. So just right. do it this way. Or what they'll say is something on the lines of, 
I experienced this loss and hoping that they're going to find comfort that you too know grief. Now down the line, right? maybe sessions ahead, this you might share something or feel like a self-disclosure is appropriate. But for now, it was so interesting compared to last session because you, mm. like me, very appropriately will pull in stories, your references, right? right? right. Self-disclosures, and they work. They make sense. They're appropriate. They're in the best interest of the client. Right. In here, you had none because, again, this was about her actually feeling her grief. And, I mean, almost the whole session, there was emotion. I could hear it in her voice kind of go in and out yeah. of it. Right. Right. And you, it's, it's interesting. My mom pointed out last week that Sarah is enunciating less and she's going into, uh, you noticed that? noticed that too. <laughs> right. Right. And there's something about, she's really, I mean, the elevator is no longer in the attic. It's, it's, it's going down overall. Right. And it's, it's that in the basement in this session. Oh, completely. Completely. Right. And, and when it starts to go up, I'll acknowledge it's going up, but I'm, I'm going to hang out in the basement. Right. Yep. And I think that any sense for her of me enables a strong word, enable or allowing the defense mechanism, whether it was religion or making a joke, yep. anything would have brought the elevator up, yep. taken her out of that place. And I've said to her, like, I really want to let you feel what you're feeling. Right. Yeah. Which goes back to you pointing out the, you don't have to be composed in here. Yeah. Like, the just moment that you, that you gave me after you didn't say, tell me more about the productive comment. Cause I knew I was like, there's a reason the moment that you gave me is she goes, anyways, what else is going on? Right. Right. My eyes widen. I'm going, what? And Doug goes, wait, hold on. Let's not run from this. Right. So you gave her permission to feel, to not fight off emotion, detach, and to just take a moment. But you didn't push her. Right. Because I feel like right. that could that also happens. People are going, this client who who was always in their head is finally feeling. I'm excited. So then they kind of get their claws and try to pull it out. You right. did we we walk a fine line, right? We want to respect people's resistance. Sometimes they don't feel safe. Right. going into the depths of their emotion. Right. Sometimes we have to work with them with the elevator in their brain for a while. Yeah. But what you did was you respected her resistance yet warmly challenged it in a way by just saying, let's not run from this. Let's just hold space for this. Yeah. There was a tool that I used where I mentioned something without having to focus on it, without having to get her to focus on it. I knew it was there. And I gave it an invitation to come out. And that's where I said to her, the thing about grief is it hits different times. You never know when it's going to hit you. Things will trigger it. And we don't always have to go there. It's like, we don't always have to take the elevator nope. to the basement, but we need to acknowledge there's something in the basement. Yes. And I mentioned her father. I was like, yes. you don't have to tell me about that. And then I, I think I even said something about it. It's like with your daughter, like just being able to show her the tears. It's okay to feel that. Mm -hmm. Just normalizing being in the basement, you know, right. we're using the analogy of the elevator to go to getting to the basement being right. the emotional level, right? That deep level. Right. And once I said that and and kind of said, look, you don't have to tell me about your father. She goes right into exactly. it. Exactly. Yep. And there's yep. A, a line I used earlier on in the podcast. It might've even been back in the Drew days where I've said the thing about grief is anytime you've had a loss, you're going to feel every loss you've ever had. Yes. It taps into the basement where a lot of that is. That's okay. It's the emotion is the emotion and it's there. 
And this is what I mean, because she went right back to her father and what that was like. Yep. You respected it. You didn't push for it. You said, we don't need to talk about it. Again, that made her feel safe. So we talked about systems of safety as I get to know Sarah more. Mm, right. I'm going, that was kind of a perfect thing for you to say for her. Right. It gave her permission. You don't need to cry. It's Our goal is not to make her clients cry, right? right. Big, that's not the goal. It's It's to allow a safe space for you to feel. And sometimes that results in tears. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes right. it's just acknowledging a trauma and saying, hey, we don't need to go there. When right. you're ready, if you're ready, we will. And she didn't feel the pressure from you. And then she just launched in. Right. And another thing that you said that I feel is important that you said for her, but for your listeners too, mm. is she said that her dad passed seven years ago. And you said, wow, that's fresh. Yeah. And I went, thank yeah. you, Doug, because yeah. there is a misconception that you should be over it within a year or two. Right. And yes, seven years after a loss is so new and so fresh. And you talked about the stages of grief, which I think is important. They're not chronological. Maybe you don't experience all of them. You just maybe eventually form a new relationship with them. But I think it's wrong to say oh, you'll get through this grief process like, you have a tremendous loss. You might be grieving in some way throughout your life. Right, right. And that that's that grief ball in the box analogy. You know this one? Uh, uh, no. <laughs> picture a, a, a box. And on the side of the box is a button for grief and pain. In there is a, is a ball that's almost the size of the entire box. And okay. it's going to rattle around. Okay. And it's going to constantly hit that, that pain button okay. where you feel it. Yeah. As time goes on, the ball gets a little smaller. Yep. But that button still stays the same size. So it's going to rattle around and it won't always hit. But then when it hits, it's the same tremendous feeling. Right? I might steal that from you. It's not mine. I, I, I might stole steal it. that from the Whoever person that you stole that from. Absolutely. <laughs> I love a good visual. Yeah. I, I've used that a lot. There's actually, there is a little video clip. I think we've put it up somewhere and it, it's great. Maybe we'll link it here. But th yeah. that's the thing. And that's what, to me, was so poignant in this moment that you're talking about that, yeah, seven years, wow, I didn't realize it was so fresh, was giving permission to let it hit that button and be as big as it was back then. Right. And then she goes into like trying to calculate when it was and realizes, oh, wait, it was nine years ago. Oh, right? yeah. Uh -huh. And it's still that fresh. <laughs> and then I did something that was kind of cool. And, and we've talked about this. I, I kind of want see what we just did there. We let our minds be distracted by the numbers. And yeah. we were distracting ourselves and that felt a little better, didn't it? Right. Yeah. It's showing, look, you can go down to that deep place and you can focus on something else and feel okay for a minute. Right. People are scared, understandably, that if I take the elevator down right, right to the basement and if you're listening going, what are they talking about this elevator? That's like, it could be your subconscious, your psyche, your shadow, these, these places where we have these raw feelings, often the feelings that are hard to feel. Right. And we spend our life being really defended, our defense mechanisms, right? It's yeah. like, I don't want to feel that pain. So you right. push all the buttons like an elf, right. you know, when Buddy the Elf is like, <laughs> right. it anywhere but buttons. here. Right. And we yep. have all these things, compartmentalizing, mm. dissociation, distraction, all these things to not stay in the basement and to right. live in a cerebral, intellectualized place in our brain because we have control over it. Yes. But people are scared if I sit in the basement 
I'm never going to, I'm stuck. I'm never going to be able to pull out of it. And in this session, you two were in the basement. Yeah. Then it was like, you went up a few floors then you went back down right. and you were laughing. Yeah. And then she reflected on serious growth. And you had this really powerful to me moment at the end, this kind of recap moment of talking about how she so brilliantly escapes her feelings. Yeah. Yeah. She's go, 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 right. go, 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 go. Right. Don't slow down. Keep going. So things do come up for her when the elevator drops yeah. and she pauses for a moment and you're like, maybe we can do this more. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that. And I, she's somebody who has tremendous insight, strength, and emotional capacity. She hasn't allowed herself to feel that emotional capacity. We are doing that now and yeah. showing that is possible and you can still hold your defenses and have the strength. And she said exactly what you just said, Bonnie, like earlier in the session, she said something like, I guess it's because I'm, I'm, I shut down or I try to shut so much of it out that I dissociate myself. Yeah. And that's when she said, yeah. And then my dad dying was hugely traumatic, like hugely. And it, it's something that, right. And you don't want to stay in a traumatic place. You don't want to hold that the whole time. Just that she could mention that and mention that she huge. dissociates. It's huge. It's huge. That's like, yeah, sometimes I'm going to take the elevator up and I'm going to stay like on the top floors and I might go to the penthouse and, and then the attic or whatever. Jeez, I don't know how many floors there are in the elevator. And the, yeah. What, what, a what, lot. What building are we in? We've got an attic, a penthouse, a rooftop garden. All I, I Seriously, all I can think about is Buddy the Elf. <laughs> kind of my favorite movie. <laughs> right? I love that. But for her, I, I think knowing that you can touch it, like you said, and go down there and knowing that sometimes you don't for good reason. So it's normalizing that dissociation because we don't want to stay there. Right. And that's, that's a superpower and a defense and a yeah. strength of hers. Yeah. To go off of that, mm -hmm. we're not trying to rid people of their defense mechanisms. Right. I don't want to be in this world without mine. I have plenty of them. Right. Right. But it's also knowing that I can put them aside and I can feel the depths of my feeling. And also I can then get up, make my coffee, go to work, move throughout my day. Sometimes not. And that's okay too. Right. And that's, she said something that I thought was really cool towards, I guess, the end or middle end or wherever we were in the session. She said, I didn't really address it then because it wasn't part of what we were really getting to yep. in the session where she said, there's, there's been a part of me that wants to understand what decision I made that allowed me to yes. carry on with life versus some of my siblings and other people in the cult that ended their lives yep. or turned to drugs. And I've removed myself from the emotion of the pain. She even said, I start to wonder, is, is there something wrong with me? Right. I don't want to attach to those feelings. So yeah. I, I'm removed from it. And that's, again, what I think is a great defense and a great strength. And we proved in this session that you heard, she can go there and she isn't running from the feelings. We, we did touch it. And that thing about what decision I made to carry on and do this. I mean, you, you said it, Bonnie, it's that, that's the like, go, go, go. I can take care of anything. I can do anything. That's her productive, version. Productive, productive, productive. Right. And she jokes, she didn't say it in, in this session, but she, she jokes. And I don't always think it's a joke. And I will point that out that she said, oh yeah, I'm going to give myself cancer. Mm. I'm like, you've already had bleeding ulcers. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, that's everything that you take yep. on thinking like, oh, I got it. That's like drinking, thinking it's not going to be a problem. That's yep. like doing drugs or yep. working out too much or overworking any yep. of those things. Right. Avoidance. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Her self-awareness is just in every session I listen to, it's just increasing and increasing. You can hear it in the comments that she makes. Yeah. And as you said, she had, she said, the only time I slow down is here. And you're like, wonderful. And we've got to find more of that right outside of therapy, that that is a really important next step for her. And now I think she realizes, yes, the water faucet can turn on right. and it can also turn off. Hmm. It's like, it's been stuck for so long right? and you turn it on and it's rusty and muddy and people are like, I'm worried it won't turn off. But this was a beautiful session and example where you see somebody can feel who really has a brilliant defense mechanism system right. to not right. feel. Yeah. And you, you watched it crack open, mm-hmm. but it was okay. Yeah. She's yeah. not drowning. Right. 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 There's two things here that I want to hit that you just brought up. One is that that thing about I can do it in here, like for an hour. Like this is where I can do it. This is the safe space where I can do that. That's awesome. And we're trying to do more of that out there. And you just did it in here. You're showing that you can. And that's a lot of what therapy is to show somebody that they're capable of connecting and attaching to someone and feeling in this way with vulnerability and honesty and authenticity, and it's okay, and it can feel safe and be safe, and then that safety is within them, and they could take that virtually anywhere. Right. So it starts here, but it doesn't end here. Right. The second thing that you mentioned, that faucet, I'm a little confused. I want you to clarify. Okay. So I I get Buddy Yelf in the elevator hitting all the buttons. When does he turn on the sink? I I don't remember that. (laughs) I mean, I'll have to wait till Christmas when I watch it again. But when I write... Buddy the Elf too, I might include that. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. But right. I talk about that with just with emotions, right? It's like I think about a rusty faucet. I have a fixer upper, so you know, <laughs> I can't help myself. Right. Right. That's just been off for a while. And it's like, I don't know if you've ever had a rusted faucet or a really old house that's sure. completely falling apart. Well, I have. Calcification. There you because go. They've got hard water. There you they, go. Uh-huh. It's like yeah. 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 And you, sure. Right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, pew, that's just it. I'm God, I'd say half kidding, but maybe I'm only one sixteenth kidding when I say calcification on the faucet. Oh yeah, no, right? that's, it's that's a that's lot real. of times what people in analogy land think when they come in here. Like, oh, I don't know how to feel. I don't have those emotions. If it's, I start crying, calcified. I'm afraid I'll never stop. Right. I have heard that from so oh, many people. Yeah, I mean, one one of the first things Sarah said to me was like, "Oh my gosh, do you know Bruce Almighty? Like that scene where he opens the filing cabinet and that file comes out like." Whoosh, and it's so long and there's all these, that's like all these things that have happened in my life. And so I need to keep that drawer shut. Yep. Right. And I said to her back then, and we say it periodically, we just opened the drawer and took out one of those files and looked at it. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Just one. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. And that's what you were saying, like opening the faucet a little yep. bit, then turning it off. It's okay. It, it doesn't have to like open the floodgates. And now this deluge of water and emotion and stuff overwhelms us. It, it's not that. Yeah. That's an analogy I use often. I had a very emotionally resistant client who hadn't Mm. basically was like, I haven't shed a tear since I was a kid. And again, it's not about shedding tears. It was that she actually just didn't feel like she had access to her pain. So we talked about the faucet. And when we had our termination session, Mm. after we did incredible work for so many years, she said, I have a brand new sparkling faucet and it can turn off and on. And it was like, yep. I love that. Yeah. And and that's come to therapy. You get a brand new faucet. (laughs) Right. There you go. (laughs) And that's something that I said to Sarah at the very end of the session, like, look, 
whatever's going to come up, whatever emotions, you can allow it. And you know what? If you can't and you can't tolerate it, you can compartmentalize it. Yep. We'll open up the compartments in here and mentalize them in therapy. That's what I like to think compartmentalize means. Yes. Right? Yes. So do that for yourself. You can do that and know that what you just did was open the faucet, go down to the basement, whatever other analogy there is for feeling your feelings. Yep. We did it. Yeah. Yeah. This was huge. Thank you. Yeah, it was. And I think that you two will probably refer back to this session and some of the stuff that came up here. Oh, yeah. I mean, what's what's really cool is that Sarah listens to the podcast. So we're Hi, working. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> we're, we're, I love you. Stop it. We're I do. Working, I really care I know, for but her. Stop it. Okay. okay. Sorry, Sarah. I'll give you Bonnie's information. If you want to switch therapists, you can. I <laughs> no. know she's very soothing. She is right where she's meant to be. <laughs> She'll listen to this episode when it comes out, but she is several months ahead of this. We right. have already mentioned this session oh, before. I'm sure. And she'll get to hear it. I mean, she said, I feel like I'm getting like double therapy. Like I get it with you when we have it. And then I get to hear you and someone else break it down and I go through it again. Right. And it's it's tremendous. And this is something that what she went through in this session, the grief, the, those feeling, those feelings, we're talking about her progress overall. She's also going to hear this and recognize, oh, wow, I was grieving. I still am grieving. Huh. Yeah. And when you and I say oh, it's huge, right, because it's going to bring that back up and it might bring that up for you guys out there. You know, it brings up stuff for me professionally and personally. And yeah, I go talk too. to my therapist and deal with it. This is what it is, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. We feel the feelings. And we will all experience grief yeah. if we haven't already. Yeah. And it doesn't make it easier knowing that we all go through it. Right. And there's there's no, even for her kids, like, well, I want to shield them from from grief or I want to protect my family members or my loved ones. This is to me how you protect them is you show them that you can touch it and go there and feel it. And it's okay. It doesn't feel good, but it's much better to feel it than to tuck it away and not keep it there. Yeah. Are you getting a little choked up or are you actually choking? <laughs> Oh, you're actually choking. I'm actually choking. Yeah, have a little more coffee. You make me so emotional, Doug. Oh. Look, are you going down to the basement? Totally. Okay. But I am pushing the buttons and I'm back again. <laughs> now well, that I've had a sip of my coffee. That's right. Back in business. That's right. On that note, um, <laughs> you guys, if you're coffee drinkers, go get caffeinated, get up to yes. the basement, hang out at the garden penthouse. Feel your feelings. That's right. Move through it. Sure. Go up. Go down. This one's going to date me. I don't think you'll know this. Oh, keep geez. your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Do you know that? No. And that is so corny of you. It's but Casey I Kasem. You. It's his weekly top 40 when he would like give the weekly top 40. Of, oh, you know wait. what? You do know it. I do know it. Yeah. I was just ready to shoot it down, Doug. Right. It's my but, own insecurities so about not knowing references. keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. We'll see you next week <laughs> on the weekly top 40. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>